Lord, uh, we need you to speak this morning. We need you yeah. here. We are here to meet with you, the living God. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you this morning to speak to us. We'll just acknowledge that it's uh, through you that you uh, bring revelation from Scripture, uh, bring conviction, and bring joy and direction in your voice. So Lord, we want to meet with you. We're thankful that we get to be together. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Drew. As uh, believers, as Christians, there are some things that uh, I think that at times we hold uh, simultaneously and in tension. <clears throat> I have found myself aware of the tension that I carry, uh, maybe more so in the last couple of weeks, between heaviness and hopefulness. Ever carried both of those? Where uh, uh, something makes you more aware of, simultaneously more aware of the darkness and more aware of the light, right? How dark is the dark and how great is the light? Uh, carrying those tensions together. Um, uh, on a personal level, in my role uh, as a pastor, uh, I, I, I see um, in the lives of people that I, that I care about dearly and deeply, the effects of sin. Of course, I've seen it in my own life, but walking with others. And then on a national level, of course, if you've been paying attention at all, uh, there's just, uh, I find my heart heavy. I was actually reading the story of Mike Pence and his wife and daughter in the Capitol building fleeing for safety. Ah, it's just gut-wrenching. I have daughters. And yet, in the midst of all of that, both at the personal level, at a national level, at a global level, whatever level you go and you look at the, at, you look at the, the brokenness that is in the world, uh, the anger, the, the strife, uh, you name it, whatever it is, I see an, an unbroken line that leads us all the way back to Genesis 3, leads us all the way back to the first story of the first family in the garden and the decision to walk away from God. So, this morning, uh, I'm going to, we're going to talk about sin. What I want to do this morning is give you kind of a, unpack a, a definition of what sin is, and I don't mean what sin does, I mean what sin is. So you understand that in the garden, there, were, there was an abundance of uh, fruits and vegetables and bananas, because apparently those are neither, and other things in the garden. And for, we don't know whatever period of time it was, but for a period of time, they, Adam and Eve, took whatever they wanted, they would reach out, they would take a hold of that fruit, and they'd stuff it in their mouth, and they would say, this is delicious. And yet there was one fruit, there was one moment where that action of reaching out and taking that fruit and taking a bite it was sin. 
That one was sin. And so what I want to unpack this morning is, what is the difference between the two? And how do we understand uh, what sin is? Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. The serpent said to the woman, you, you won't die. God knows that in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and she ate. And then she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were unclothed, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings. Oh, I think I'm okay. Cutting out a little bit. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. There it is. They took, they ate, their eyes were opened, they realized, they heard God coming, and like all of my kids, when they hear me coming and they're doing something wrong, they hid themselves. So, uh, carrying uh, in each hand, uh, addressing the heaviness of what sin is without abandoning hopefulness, I'm going to dive in. I'm going to give you a four-part definition. Now, as I give you these four parts, uh, what you'll probably discover is that one of these either you're more familiar with or more comfortable with, and yet all four of these have to work together. And then I'm going to, at the very end, I'm going to surprise you with a fifth thing, but be surprised when I bring it up, okay? So what is sin? The first part of our definition, and maybe the one that if you've been raised in religion, you're most familiar with. Sin is a violation of God's moral law. Simple enough. God has established standards, laws. Sin is to break those. It is a legal issue. Hebrews 3.18 to whom did God swear that they would not enter his rest, that is, to enter into eternal life, into uh, eternity with him? Those who were disobedient, those who had broken God's law, disobeyed God's commands. James 2.10, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles on one point is guilty of breaking the law, is guilty of breaking all of it. Sin is a violation of God's moral law. God has set, established uh, a particular set of standards, and if I sin, I have broken that standard or violated that standard. In both the material world and the immaterial world, God has established immutable laws by which the universe operates. A number of years ago, some of you may remember, 
I went out in the hills out here with my cousin Eric Ingerbretson, and I found the biggest bull moose I'd ever seen in my life. It's at least 75 inches. It was huge. I just couldn't even believe how big it was. And it was hunting season, and I was hunting, and I had a gun, so I shot that moose. And the moose fell over, and in the falling, uh, collapsed its antlers down to 47 inches. Which presented me with a problem, a dilemma. So I got called to the courthouse. I had to go before the judge, explain my 47-inch moose. And so I had diagrams and, you know, graphs and came before the judge and she said, yeah, 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 you broke the law, here's your fine. <laughs> it's a legal issue. You have, there is a standard. You did not comply to that standard. You have broken the law. Sin is a violation of God's moral law. That's number one. Number two, sin is a failure to love, or we could call it self-centeredness. So it's not just that there's this uh, standard uh, by which we're measured against, but that standard, according to Scripture, is the standard of God's love. Sin is the failure to love. Romans 13, 8 Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Paul is acknowledging that the purpose of God's moral law is to teach us to love, to love God and to love others. Of course, you know this one, Matthew 22, 37, 38. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. So all of God's laws, all of God's commands are intended to be a tutor for us to show us how to love. And when we fail to love, that is sin, right? The day after Christmas this year, I opened our kitchen refrigerator, and there on the middle shelf was a piece of pumpkin pie, one piece, the only piece in the refrigerator. And I knew that our fates were colliding in that moment, right? It was, it was beautifully wrapped in saran wrap with a little uh, perfectly coiffed pile of whipped cream next to it. So I took it out of the fridge, I got my fork, I took off the saran wrap, and my wife walked in the kitchen and said, that's Selah's piece of pie. Selah is the one who carefully wrapped it and put it in the fridge. And so I had no choice but to eat Selah's piece of pie. Sin is a failure to love. It's self-centeredness. Someone asked me in the first service, what's the end of the story? And I said, that was the end of the story. I ate my daughter's pie. And then my wife piped up in the 8 o'clock service and said, no, the end of the story is I made her another pie. <laughs> because my wife is loving, right? 
Sin is not just a violation of, a, of an arbitrary standard. It is a violation of God's law of love. That's number two. Number three, sin is a choice that is less than God's best. I'm presented with two options, and I choose that thing that is less than God's best. This is a quality issue. Uh, Skip uh, Bowersox has taught on this before at Church on the Rock. Adam and Eve are presented with two options, all of the abundant provision of God, all of his goodness, the Garden of Eden, everything in its perfect state, or a world dying and corrupted by sin. We look at that and we go, yeah, that's definitely, there's a quality issue there, right? And if you were raised inside of a religious environment, what I have found is that for some, this understanding of sin was absent. I understood that there was this, that God had laws and he had requirements and he had commandments and I've disobeyed those, so that makes me a sinner. But sin is more than just a violation. It is, it is choosing something less than what God intended, in, or intended for me and God's intentions are good. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. That there is a work of God in transforming my mind, which allows me to see and understand and grab a hold of God's good, acceptable, and perfect will. That's a quality issue. I remember so clearly, so vividly, I remember graduating from high school and having a sense that God's will was leading me in one direction and knowing full well that I wanted to head in a different direction. That's a quality issue. Do I want to lead the life that I want to live? Or do I trust that God's uh, will for me is best for me? So that's number three. Number four, sin is acting independently of God. Which is an authority issue. God says, I've created you, I've made you, and this is what I've made you for. And we say, thanks for the spiel. I think I'll pass. I'm going to try an alternative. Acting independently of God. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to please him. Remember, faith is dependence. Faith is turning from my independence and saying, I rest myself on you. I make myself dependent upon you. Galatians 5.4, you have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by the law. Seeking to be justified by the law is me over here by myself trying to, to create enough goodness for myself, right? And he says, no, actually, uh, in doing so, you've been severed from Christ. Uh, you have made yourself independent of his work on the cross, acting independently of God. 
I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. So, in four parts, sin is a violation of God's moral law and a rejection of God's love, His perfect will, and His divine authority. It's all of those things. However, this is where you act surprised. All of these speak of an action or an event or a moment in time. But we do not experience sin simply as a decision with a consequence. And if you think about sin as a decision with a consequence, an action with a related consequence, you will be confused as you try to move forward in your walk with God. And here's why. We have legal uh, uh, alcohol consumption limits for drivers for a reason, right? And the reason is, is that you arrive at a point where you lose control of your own faculties to what you've consumed, right? You understand that? You are impaired. Your, your physical faculties are impaired, your mental faculties are impaired. When sin enters our lives, it is not just a set of events or actions or particular moments in time. Sin takes a hold of the wheel, sets its behind down in the driver's seat, and takes control. Adam and Eve made a decision that led to a condition. We actually experience the condition that motivates our decisions. Don't believe me? Listen to Jesus, John 8. Jesus said, I want to tell you the truth. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Understand that sin has, has taken our power away. Sin has locked on the shackles and taken ownership of our lives apart from Christ. Romans 7.14, we know that the law is spiritual, this is Paul speaking, but I am unspiritual. I am sold as a slave to sin. Imagine in the garden, Adam and Eve, they take the fruit, their minds are open to the experience of evil for the first time ever, and they say, oh yeah, we didn't like that. Okay, we changed our minds. Let's go back to the way things were. There's no, there's no out. There's no other option. Sin has been brought into the environment and been given control over our lives. I cannot change my mind about sin because sin is my master apart from Christ. I am a slave to sin. You understand that in Christian ministry, it's actually this understanding of the power of sin that fuels our compassion as the hands and feet of Jesus. You understand that? That 
people perceive that if I were to go to a religious person, because we view sin as simply a moral standard, that that person would be the most judgmental. When in reality, those who have been experienced the saving grace of Jesus have the greatest compassion because they recognize sin's enslaving effect on our lives. They know what it's like to feel powerless against it. Paul says in Colossians 3, 5, now he's talking to believers. He's talking to the one who has repented, who has placed their dependence on God, and have received the gift of salvation and the gift of the Holy Spirit, the righteousness of Jesus. He's talking to those people, and he says to them, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. The earthly nature is the person apart from God. It's the sinful nature. It is my nature. It's my disposition. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which ultimately is idolatry. So Paul's working assumption is that those, that nature didn't just vanish when I gave my life to Christ. It's still around, and I have an active role in dealing with it. Now, my active role in dealing with it is empowered by the Spirit of Christ in me, without which I would continue to be a slave. And yet, I've encountered so many young believers. Maybe you remember being here. You were so sick of your sin. You were so ready to turn to Jesus. And finally, in that moment, by His grace, you repented and you turned and you said, I place my faith on you. I confess that I'm a sinner and in need of your saving grace. And in that moment, you knew you would never sin again. It would never tempt you again. Paul says, now you got some work to do, but you've been given a gift Sin is a violation of God's law, a failure to love. It is choosing less than God's best. It is acting independently of God. And sin is an enslaving condition that apart from the power of Jesus is the very basic nature of every human being that walks on the planet. And here's the hope both for the one who has known God for a long time and the one who is still deciding about God. Here's the hope. But God, being rich in mercy, this is Ephesians 2, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. God looked down and said, I know. You're toast. I know it's hopeless. But I am rich in mercy and have a great love for you. And even though you are burnt toast, even though you are dead in your transgressions, if you'll turn to me, I will unite you with the righteous spirit of Christ. There is hope. God, everyone here in this room 
knows personally and intimately the consequence of sin. and the limitations of our own ability to overcome in our own strength. Lord, would you unite us with this bond? We are the people who all depend on you, who cling to you, who trust in you to rescue us not only from sin's penalty, but sin's power over our lives. so thankful that you did not abandon us. So thankful for your abundant mercies and your abundant love. So we come before you now in worship. In Jesus' name. You guys want to stand?